Hey there, SCP fans. My name is Grigori Carpin, and this is Simply Creative People, the show about SCP creatives, be they authors, artists, or off-site content creators like YouTube and TikTok. We're focused on bridging the gap between various fans and serving as an introduction to different concepts and stories on the wiki. So, many welcomes to all, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So welcome to episode three of Simply Creative People. My name is Gregory Carpin. I think I've introduced myself twice now, so we're probably good on that. Uh, but I do have a guest host today. So, sir, if you want to introduce yourself. Howdy. My name is Harry Blank. I am an author on the SCP Wiki. I am also sometimes known as Gregory Carpin. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that. Um, I No, we won't. No. But it's it's the we'll cut that joke. You see, we have to do that. Oh yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Very good. We're we're going to be discussing tropes and cliches as time goes. Yeah. Anyway, I joined the wiki in uh, what June of two thousand and twenty, and I have since then written one or two or one hundred and seven pages on the SCP wiki, including most notably, as Gregory mentioned about himself previously, uh, SCP sixty five hundred inevitable, along with Locke, Aethris, Ip. Placeholder McD, Dark Stuff, and am I forgetting somebody? I hate that list. Six times it takes for yeah, that's everybody. <laughs> I know, I know. And that's all of us. Our, our our lovely crowd of of people that wrote a novel for the wiki, right? Um, so uh, just to explain a little bit about that joke, because the only way jokes are funny is if you explain. Right, exactly. This is the the core of all humor <laughs> is explanation. <laughs> But there is uh, a running joke that uh, probably wouldn't have made it outside of Discord or, or our, you know, DMs back and forth. But we have known each other since pretty much when you joined, maybe like a month later. Yeah, something like a month after, probably. Uh, and we have so many things in common and uh, that it just became a joke. <laughs> At first, just between us. And then became, you know, widespread knowledge among other authors that we are the same person. Yes. So, uh, I mean, it even made a comment of it in that Dado victim article we did together. We've been pretty good friends since you joined up, I would say. You're like one of my best friends on the wiki. Yes, well, the feeling is mutual. I think we've talked almost every day for the past year and a half, so. I, I know, like the only person I talked to more than you is my girlfriend. <laughs> we'll choose not to interrogate that too closely. We'll save that for a later. Well, I talked to her more, but it's, you know, it's it's not direct. It's not like orders of magnitude more. It is funny how often you yeah. chat. The, con- the content of the conversations are hopefully somewhat different. 
Yeah, you and I are much more sexual than... <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's masturbation. We're the same person. Um, but, uh, so, oh, yeah, when I, I think we... We're off to a kick-ass start. Yeah, I, this is good. Fuck it. Um, I think we started chatting because... I think I asked you for crit, or you volunteered for crit in one of the Discord channels. Yeah, you were asking for crit on uh, Hamarsha. I can never remember the names of your. Oh right. I can I can never remember the numbers of your. Man, numbers are hard, especially once you have articles like we have. Like, just I have to look it up all the time. Dozens and dozens of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Harmesha, which is uh, five six one two, uh, and you gave me some very good crit on that. Uh, yeah, it was probably just line by line and absolutely nothing useful other than that. Oops, that's very useful. <laughs> and then I think, you know, I kind of asked, you know, what what it, you, you know, written. I think we had I had talked a little bit with you or seen some of your stuff around, and you <laughs> linked to me your twenty one twenty two thousand word epic <laughs> twenty three thousand twenty three thousand words cross two tails. Yes, the significant others. Significant others. I was trying to like, oh fuck completely losing track of titles. It's okay, I'll, think, I'll forget your numbers, you can forget the titles, and between the two of us we'll have one function in the brain. <laughs> uh, and then I came back, I think like a day later, and was like, wow, that was really good. And you were like, what, you read that? <laughs> yes, I was astonished anybody had read it at that point. It's done fairly well since then, but uh, 23,000 words is kind of a gate. I'm going to take total credit, though, because I'm, I featured oh. it on the front page. Yes, <laughs> yes, you, you set the rocket up. Absolutely. I mean, that's... It's true. But... <laughs> it's true. Those, pre those front page previews do help. They do. Of course they do. Yeah. Um, but I remember when we started, like, chatting regularly was when... I think we had some ostensible reason to actually, you know, have a direct conversation about something, like, actually wiki-related. And then we started chatting about, like, fucking DC superheroes and Prey 2017, the game for like eight hours like i mean we were just like it was like all of a sudden it was like 3 a.m and it was like what uh, you're the same person i am yes i never run out of things to say about prey i just stopped talking eventually uh yeah i mean it's it's a real good game it's a real good game it, everyone should go play that game it's fucking amazing yeah just turn this off and go play prey no <laughs> you can listen to it and play all right start the fade out music all right good all right bye everyone yeah it's nice meeting you all <laughs> So today we're going to be talking about uh, the Global Co Coalition, and we're going to go into some general stuff like what I did last episode, but uh, a lot more in depth because we've got a whole bunch of articles that we think give some good insight into the GUI. And also, I just want to preface it by saying, you know, I was really fucking surprised. Don't know how everyone, you know, in the audience or offsite or onsite really feel about GOC, but I had always kind of felt like it was very masculine you know gears of war bro like uh, military stuff and although that stuff is there uh, there's also a lot of depth to it but before we get into that i thought because from the very beginning we've talked i've talked about having little sections about content creation and kind of an insight into uh writers or you know if a video person is on and talking about how they come up with ideas or the process and seeing as how between us uh, we have something like 170-something articles that wow. uh, we could talk about, you know, just the very basic rundown of, like, from idea to completion. Obviously, you know, we're not going to go about where do ideas come from. They come out of my ass. I don't know. 
<laughs> Who knows where ideas come from? I was going to talk exclusively about where ideas came from, so you've undercut me. Oh, well, fuck it. Go for it. Do it. No, I was lying. Ugh. Well, this is the basis of trust in this relationship, I guess. Yes, I, I, I lie unless it's funnier to tell the truth. That's that's the rule. Well, you know, I mean, this is the secret of podcasting. I think as long as it's funnier, who gives a shit? Yes, exactly. We don't have to be on topic as long as we make the funny jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this actually should should end up being a good way to discuss things because you are fairly orderly in your thinking and my brain is a mess, so we should be able to cover all the angles of how to write <laughs> between the two of us. <laughs> I like that you think that it is very orderly for me. Well, you uh, present an orderly front. Thank you. I do not. Uh, so what Harry's talking about is because oftentimes, sometimes the only other person that sees something before I post it is you. But you have looked at everything I've posted since we met. I think I have. Posting. Yeah. I, believe I, I believe I have. I have upvoted, I think, every single thing that you have I've written. And I think I read almost all of them before they went up, except for the ones that went up before I met you. And I think pretty much I've done the same, except for a couple of things where you were like coming down to the wire of your own internal timeline and just posted or whatever. Yes, I am, a, I am a creature of my own demons. My internal timelines will not wait for anything. Fuck it. You know, I mean, hey, whatever. I get it. We can get into the deep lore of my mental problems as time goes on. Here comes a loud noise. <laughs> I need caffeine so, if I'm going to make it through. No, yeah, I've got coffee. I'm, I get you. Yes, for, uh, this is so, a slurping creative people. <laughs> so in terms of orderly, I will often start with an outline. And I will often, you know, that's not where the idea comes up, but I will sort of, you know, have like just a two sentence summary at the top of a page and then yeah. start putting like bullet points of things I want to put. And the reason I started doing that is because once I figured out for me, the best way for me to write was modular, meaning I could take a scene and move it or, you know, it, so if I, you know, conceptualize the scenes as independent things, as best as possible uh, or different components of an SCP, then, you know, it would be easy enough to rearrange them if they were in outline form first. I don't always stick to those outlines by any means. A lot of times I start writing and just shit, especially with victim, just comes out. I don't know. But yes, I do often have an outline. That's two shitting metaphors in the description of the creative process so far for those of you keeping track. Let's go for four. Well, do I have to do two? Because I don't know. I'm not into the scatological. I try to br I try to bring a heightened tone of humor. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So you're a freak and you have outlines. We've established that. Yeah, yeah. I'm very type A. Uh, very right. type A. I hadn't noticed that. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason I went to law school. Uh, but um, and there's a reason that I did not. Oh, right. So on the podcast today, we have two people with doctorates. Isn't that weird? We're we're it two people. Weird whose usernames do not include the word doctor, and we do indeed both have doctorates. That's right. I've got a Juris doctorate, and you have a doctorate in history. That's that's correct. The reason I described that was momentarily, or in fact still, I don't really remember what PH stands for. It stands, well, it, the whole thing stands for, and I cannot pronounce this correctly, but it's okay, because fun thing about Latin is no one can, we just guess. It stands for Dead. Philosophiae Doctor, Doctor of Philosophy. That's funny, seeing as how there are lots of people with PhDs that have not studied or will never study uh, philosophy. Yeah, it's the ancient Latin meaning of deeper knowledge is philosophy. So everything that isn't medicine or... Uh, do scientists get PhDs or do they get something? Everything that isn't medicine is 
philosophy, and I guess medicine is um, fakery. <laughs> We're talking about the ancient ancient Latins, right? Ancient ancient Latin doctors didn't know their asses from their. Well, yeah, that's true. They knew more than medieval doctors, but yes. Um, talking about medieval doctors in the context of SCP gets us too close to territory I'm not interested in. So let's move on. <laughs> oh God, We're just going to try to alienate everybody who came here to listen to the popular stuff. No, I like some of the popular stuff. Yes. I mean, hey, currently, Harry and I are writing a series entirely based on and expanding 093, because that is one of my favorite articles. 093 is easily one of the best articles on the site, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So people that think new authors, people that think new authors don't like series one, that's not entirely true. (laughs) My my favorite article is in series one, and it doesn't count because it was written in 2014 on the Spanish wiki and then poured it over, but we'll get to that sometime. That one's real good, though. It is real good. Content creation, right? Content so, creation. So I'm ordered. This has uh, been tangent uh, creation. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, you know, like I said, when Jackie was here, the organic conversations are not based on scripts. Who gives a shit? How does it work for you? Yeah. Uh, generally, the idea comes into my head, and then I start somewhere in the middle, and then work slowly towards the beginning, and then bounce back towards the end, and then generally make my way closer to the beginning, then right in the middle sometime, and then eventually it takes on the shape of a completed thing, and I rewrite it from scratch so that it's not insane, because my brain is um, a series of, of twisty little passages, um, none of them alike, to paraphrase Zork. Uh, so... So if anyone's paying attention, that means he writes them twice. I do. I write almost everything twice. And that's actually a really valuable tool. No, it is. Yeah. Because the cool thing about if you're a decent writer, and I don't claim to be, but if, if, you, if you have any kind of, of, of um, sense of words, your brain will not really allow you to write something that sucks twice if you're paying attention. So if you have your first draft up beside you and you start typing your second draft... The second draft will probably turn out better just by virtue of your brain going, that's not exactly how I would say that in a perfect world. So drafting can be useful. It's just that most people hate doing it. I do hate doing it, but uh, I was taught a very different way of editing that is very effective for me, so it works out. And this is through, like, the law, but it works for fiction as well, where I will look through a first pass and when I'm editing... And we'll look for substantive things that need to go. Um, you know, does this plot point work? Does this dialogue work? Et cetera, et cetera. And then I start looking for if it all kind of coalesces and makes sense. Uh, and then I worry about spelling and grammar. But I'm not I'm not that great at that. <laughs> yes. What he means is that I worry about his spelling and grammar. <laughs> I mean, I do worry. And I'm impressed with how few corrections like it back in days compared compared to when i first started but like writing for the law is a very different thing than writing fiction and my brain is still very full up on uh writing for the law which is all about economy (laughs) and not as worried about alliteration or pacing or whatever yes whereas writing for the humanities tends to be a little more florid and a little bit more into the uh the effect of the bros, so it's somewhat of a transferable skill. But you're right, you've actually gotten much better with the spelling and grammar as time's gone on, and really it's not that you make spelling and grammar errors, it's that you've just made typos in your haste to write it out, so. Well, also another weird thing about me is that roughly half the articles I've written, I have t- written on a phone. Yes, you've been doing that a lot lately. 
<laughs> oh, I mean, a lot, period. Uh, it's like, it's just very common for me to go outside and, you know, oops, smoke, sorry. And, um, but also just like sit, you know, especially when it's nice outside, uh, and sit at a, you know, in a park and type on my phone, looking like a crazy person, probably just like intensely, you know, typing on my iPhone. But, you know, sometimes I don't, you know, I'll start, I'll, I'll pull out the note function so I can write down a note for myself so that when I'm back in front of my computer, I can write it up. And then I go, eh, fuck it, I'll just write that conversation out now. Yeah, see, I don't like doing that generally because I find the phone very claustrophobic. And the reason I say that is, oh, I, t I, I type out 111 words per minute on my keyboard, and I do not type that fast on my phone, and my brain tends to be racing along and my fingers can't keep up. Although I've started using that swipe typing technique, which has improved my typing tremendously oh sure it's quite liberating and i still have i have been writing on my phone at night sometimes but generally i prefer to have the computer and all its distractions in front of me so that i can get the mac i can get the maximum of nothing done each day as i write that's right the person who has 107 articles in less than two years gets nothing i am constantly hearing about how fast i am and if you had any idea how much time i waste not getting things done no i'm, I'm aware <laughs> yeah it's funny to me that, like really you know you know well-known authors and and lesser known authors i will see all the time complain about like the writing process and you know i mean i it is painful in some ways birthing an idea but i also find it so i don't know like i've been unemployed for like the last year and a half it's in a weird you know pan, it's pandemic so i i found it to be like you know if i'm done applying to jobs and looking for you know side gigs or whatever and then i sit down for three hours and actually write something it feels like oh today wasn't a complete you know muddy bog of failure yeah it's lovely to have something even if it's a single thing to look back on and go well the end of the world was not entirely unproductive right <laughs> i mean it, you know pandemic is almost entirely you know the basis of why i started writing on the site at least for this much uh, and our friendship and friendships we've had with other people including ip who, who we both looked up to a lot and now we consider just a friend we talk to a lot. yeah i still look up to him and he's my friend but yes <laughs> Well, I, I'm not saying I don't look up to him. I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to know. position myself as you a better know. friend to Ip here, so that I'm... no, that makes you the better fan. I'm the better friend, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Arguing with a lawyer is never a good idea. Content creation. Yeah. So, where do you get your ideas? You. Oh God. Um. You know, sometimes. I will get an idea that comes up based on something I'm watching or something I'm reading, but it usually is not a one-to-one -one like that. It usually is stuff that like, I guess like stews for a while. And then, you know, and sometimes they'll set out saying, okay, I want to do this. A lot of the victim projects have been like that. They've been like one sentence, like what kind of media and what's the twist, Right. you know? And, you know, and so those have been very project or objective oriented. Like I have a thing and then they become something else entirely. But the other ones, like for example, I wrote one recently that was about a, I'm like, essentially it's a ghost story. It's a haunted mausoleum. Mm. I woke up in the middle of the night and like pulled up my phone and started writing down ideas. I don't even, I don't know if it was based on a dream or what I was playing that day or whatever. I don't know. I just was suddenly fixated by this idea of people being forced into silence and the only communication going on was through living stained glass. So that's a really good one. That one's really fun. The images really make it pop too. Yeah, I busted my ass out of images. You did. Oh, so uh, if anyone's looked at my articles and thinks I have nice images, thank you. <laughs> but 
Also, the reason that I have is that this motherfucker is the one who's taught me how to do photo editing. Yeah, I've had to teach myself over the last little while. Um, my original, my very first article was almost deleted because of how bad the image that I posted it with was. And so I have learned over the past little while how to Photoshop much better than I originally knew how. And then, uh, yeah, oh, I learned as But you did. You, like, gave me... It was like... And it wasn't even over voice call. It was, like, through text messages or, you know, Discord messages. And, like, working my way through explaining how to do, like, really basic stuff. And then I've kind of taught myself stuff since. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a useful ability to have because I know there's some authors who complain that are, like... I can't get anything red unless it's got a pretty theme and a nice image, but it does help the eye when you're reading text to have something else that is not text there to help uh, yeah. keep you Absolutely. keep you entertained, especially on this era of no attention span. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, you know, we both are old school comic book fans, and there is something really effective about illustrative storytelling. And, you know, oftentimes... I will skimp on the written description of something if I have a picture of it. Right. Because I don't want to describe the dimensions of that sign or the mug or whatever. I'll just put a picture in there. Right. And, you know, it, it's very efficient. And the wiki has moved away from describing things in excessive detail anyway, right. so. Right. That is that is one thing that I think the evolution of the wiki has been a good thing. I, I, I don't really want to read how tall something. no we we've got more than enough examples of a three by three by three geodesic object within a three by five by twelve chamber with one guard <laughs> one bracket one guard station that's it's like uh, oh god i was just listening to discovering scp in, in town he always does this really funny thing where he goes one one <laughs> which i gotta say is tanoni you're probably not listening but that's a funny bit anyway one among men. Uh, so. Yeah. All right, content creation. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, so I don't know. Where are you? Do you have, like, more of an objective base? Like, you come up with a, a purpose for a story, or do you have things that just kind of pop up? In yeah, I generally have an idea for a concept of a story that I want told, as opposed to um, a thing that I think is spooky. And this is one of the things that really hurts us as a community writing project with uh, Series 1 being the first thing some people see. They go, they click on 001, and they go, I don't understand what this page is, so they click on 002, and they go, oh, here, okay, and they read the first five or six, right. and they go, I can do an object that's spooky, and they write an object that's spooky, and it crashes and burns, because not only are these 14-year-old articles... Um, they're the ones that were decent enough to survive the deletion processes that have happened over the years. And most of the people who show up at random at any given day writing their very first article aren't going to write an article that not only survives in 2022, but is as good as the ones from 2008. So they crash and burn. So you don't so much want to show up and go, what would a spooky monster look like as what effect would a spooky monster produce? try to get yeah. that in your story yeah i'm always uh, up until recently for the last like year and a half i've been really active in the critique kind of community we have a thing on the wiki called the butterfly squad the butterflies the butt squad uh, where the butt squad right who are a bunch of volunteers we're not members of staff uh who just do critique you know on uh the forums or you know in discord or when at home and mostly I just kind of got burned out, so I wasn't enjoying it anymore, so I'd taken a step back for it. But most common piece of advice I have when I was talking to somebody about their idea was, don't worry about the anomaly that much. I I'm not saying it's not important. It is. But 
Don't be worried about describing the anomaly first off. Tell me what is the story you want to tell. Right. It doesn't have to be something deep. It doesn't have to be some, you know, epic, you know, poem. It, it doesn't even have to be something emotional. But do you have an idea for a narrative? And then you can just kind of make that anomaly work for it. That's right. The anomaly should not, um, the, the narrative should not be in service of being able to have your spooky monster. If you have to have a spooky monster, it should be because it makes a narrative better. My first SCP is a slit-faced mirror monster that keeps bugging this one guy. And, and on, the, on the face of it, that's a 2008 idea. Scary mirror monster won't leave a guy alone. That's 2008. But that wasn't the idea as it came to me in my head. The idea as it came to me in my head was, I'm lying in bed, I've been reading SCPs because it's the pandemic and I'm trying to sleep, and why not? I remembered the wiki existed after a decade of not having remembered, and I'm like, all right, if you're so smart, which I often think to myself all the time because I'm trying to undercut, my, I'm trying to undercut myself as much as possible, even in my own head, because that's how my head works. I was going, what would I write if I'm so smart if I could come up with one of these of my own? And I went, well, I don't know. There's that trope where the guy goes to wash his hands and he looks down at the sink and he looks up and, oh, there's a monster in the mirror. And I thought, how long would it take for that to get old if it happened a lot? Right. <laughs> and so this idea I had was, what if this guy keeps having the scary mirror monster every day for years? What would that do to you? What would that, what effect would that have on your life if it just would not go away? And eventually I thought, well, <laughs> I think he'd probably just start getting fed up with it. And then maybe he'd, he just kind of like make a nickname for it and he just sort of like tell it to piss off sometimes or clap if he was particularly impressed and, that, and that's what i ended up writing this idea of what would it be like for that to be happening as opposed to just spooky monster wouldn't that suck like yeah. why would it suck what what is interesting <laughs> and then i completely failed yeah. to actually um deal with that properly in the article but luckily as you said <laughs> i was then able to write twenty-three thousand words in two tales to cover really how much it would suck to have OCD, I mean a monster, follow you around forever. So it's about evoking an ideography. Yes, it was fairly autobiographical. But yes, it's about evoking an idea. It's about having a point. Um, because honestly, a text description of a monster isn't as scary as you might think it is. And the ones that are actually scaring you it's not. are not scaring you because it's a good text description of a monster. They're scaring you because they're getting at something evocative in your head and they're making you think about something that actually does scare you. So don't come to it and think, well, all right, if it had six legs and a big tongue and it could breathe, that's not scary. What's scary is the deeper stuff, which is, I think, where most people should start when they want to write one of these articles is have a point you want to make. It doesn't have to be a crazy, great philosophical point. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be trying to make a mood as opposed to just trying to describe a monster manual um, entry because we have more than a thousand of those already. I mean, even some modern ones fit into that. I mean, my first article, I think we did this a, a, like a year ago or so. I started describing my articles to you in like one sentence <laughs> descriptions and the like, they just sound dumb. Uh, like my first one is alien God found in basement. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Actually, J Jackie had a Twitter, uh, Twitter thread of, of descri describing oh, yeah. animal to me in the worst way possible. Mine was, that's right. That was really, I think fun. mine was something like wet cats are angry. For fifty four ninety four, it was true, but it, that, well, that's very true. Yeah, you boil them down; they don't sound like much. But if you, if right, because because the central idea isn't that important, right? It's what you can uh, bake it's into what it. you do with yeah. it, right? 
And I mean, you know, we both suffer from making uh, characters uh, actually try to sound like real people or at least relatable. Or at least entertaining. And, or at least entertaining. Sometimes people tell us we have too many characters. I do. <laughs> and I'm always going to have oh, more. I don't have that many. Uh, that was just targeted at me. Just trying to do solidarity. It's just yeah. targeted at me. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that was that was targeted there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I do think that that gets down to it. Is that, you know, we can sound all philosophical. But really, the point of any story in any medium is what does it make anyone feel? Yes. So, like, a theme a theme, a central narrative. These things really fucking matter, even if your thing is a thousand words about a scary monster. Because sometimes the scary thing or the interesting, compelling thing is what makes you feel. Yes, I mean, you can have a point, you can have a clever idea, you can have a philosophical argument you want to make, but you can also be David Lynch. What does this mean? It doesn't matter what it means. It matters how it makes your brain start spinning. That's what matters. And and that's, that's a perfectly valid way to do it, is to evoke as opposed to just describe right you know newsflash audience we are both big fans of twin peaks and other lynch projects yes i'm I'm at least a little bit suspicious of anybody who has seen and is not a fan of twin peaks i i can understand why someone wouldn't like it like it is very especially the third season can get very avant-garde and strange and the second season can get very crap yeah there's like a whole middle eight episodes that need to just go away. anyway so uh, go away and play prey and then watch twin peaks that's what we've that's right so that's content creation in a nutshell yeah, you know, people all the time, I will run into people all the time that are, you know, young or don't have a lot of experience writing and want to know, well, how should I learn how to write better? Fucking read more. Uh, watch more Watch more movies. Uh, watch TV. TV these days is incredible. Like, you need to you need to know how to good dialogue, you know, is written, then you need to be reading and absorbing more good dialogue. Absolutely. That's where most people come to write from. They come from having read a lot and it means something to them there are also people who don't read at all and can write well but that's that's uh it's not something you can plan that's just they got lucky with the way they're brain right yeah 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 there are people that are just like just show up in their first thing uh sloth hidden <laughs> with their with their amazing first article which was oh two right six thousand all Creatures Great and Small by Big Sloth on My Face, which is also a fantastic username. So he just came out I think came right. out all, yeah. all guns firing all at once on that one. Yeah. It, their first article was their entry for 6K, and man, that article is incredible. Yeah, they got 7th place out of about 100 articles, and I'm pretty sure they actually got 6th place and beat us, but I'm not sure how the judges figured out otherwise. And it doesn't matter. It's a fantastic article. And Sloth is yeah. awesome. All right. Well, why don't we move on a little bit? Let's talk about the GOC. Okay. <laughs> Ostensible. Yes, this was scheduled to be a 20-minute talk about content creation, and we are now at 30 was. minutes and 54 seconds. Oh, that, I mean, no, it's good. People are here to listen to all sorts. Yeah, mostly just my jokes stretching it out. But anyway, let's go. I'm going to edit the shit out of it. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's going to turn out this was actually another solo podcast by Gregory Carpin. No, Scott, no. Uh... But I thought, you know, I think on a, in a regular basis, I want to talk about people's first impressions of these GOIs, uh-huh. canons, whenever we get to that point. So what, what was your some of your first impressions of the GOC? Well, this is one of the problems with the uh, tentpole stuff on the wiki, where everybody knows about it a little bit and everybody uses it, is that it's 
Mm -hmm. Odds are your first encounter with it is going to be the uh, TLDR, not very good version. Um, like the Chaos Insurgency is the Deus Ex Machina that I use to to have an explosion in my SCP. Well, the GOC <laughs> is the Deus Ex Machina where something went wrong because idiots got there first. So that is my first impression of the GOC is that they're the idiots who get there first and don't know what they're doing and they try to break the thing and it explodes and everyone dies and it's their fault. And that's just because, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, quite frequently, um, the, uh, the Too Long Didn't Read version is terrible. I didn't think they sucked as, as much as you do. I don't tend to form uh, extreme opinions like that, especially when something isn't good and is old. I like to, I like to kind of have a sentimental historian's approach to it where I'm like, oh, that's an old thing. <laughs> it isn't good. I like it. I want to reference it. It's the Grant Morrison writing technique of, Anything, anything that's old and dumb, I kind of like. Um, and that's the impression I had about the GOC, was it's an old, dumb thing. And of course, that's deeply unfair and completely wrong. Right, yeah. So that is a nice segue to mine, which, you know, I don't think I thought it was bad because I hadn't read enough of it. But I, I always just thought boring because I don't want to read about the military. Right. Like any of the SCP articles that are like super focused on MTFs doing like you know, black ops stuff, I just kind of like tone out, like tune out. Like, I just, I don't care that much. Like, like, so, you know, I, that's the same thing I thought about the GOC, especially with the early connections to like Clef, uh, and that character, which, you know, let's not kid ourselves. The early renditions of that character were very two dimensional, um, intentionally, but yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and no shade if, you know, anyone likes Clef, I've been writing Clef a lot lately and I quite like him now. Clef is a lot. Yeah. Um, and so my first thoughts about the GOC were these are a bunch of military guys, uh, and women who are like just interested in fucking up anomalies. And so I think a really common thing that people come to the GOC is GOC bad, Foundation good. I think to some extent, a lot like sarcasm, which we covered in the first episode, the reason I think a lot of people think that is because most of people read SCPs primarily, and SCPs are usually, though not always, from the perspective of the Foundation. So the Foundation is the one, you know, is the organization who thinks GOC bad, we good. Uh, and then it just kind of becomes, oh, that, that's the way it is, right? You know, GOC is the dumb guys who, who killed the, the, the two ships who loved each other and the chair that like, you know, that one just wanted to be a nice teleport chair and oh, they put it in the wood chair. <laughs> um, these are two famous articles. You can find them easily. We're not going to talk about them in depth, but yeah, uh, again, just like you said, it, it's like vastly unfair that I thought that. And I'm really glad that I decided to go ahead and move forward with Jackie's suggestion to do this subject because the stuff I've read has made me realize like there are you know, orders of magnitude of complicated ideas involved in the GOC. Stuff that I really like uh, that speaks to my like lawyer brain in a really interesting way. <laughs> um, so I think we're gonna, I, I wanna, why don't we take a break real quick uh, and then we'll come back and talk about the general GOC. So we are back from break. You you're, are you back from break here? 
Yeah, I, I haven't left my chair, Kakari. <laughs> well, you should you should do that occasionally, gosh. I try not to. I'm built for this chair, and this chair was built for me. I almost made the Amagara fault joke without even meaning to. Oh, that's nice. Nice. Very uh, very on brand for the creepypastas. So yeah, anyway. Fringy Edo. Fringy Edo is pretty great. Yes, this is a hot take and a half, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Oh, we like... We like Lynch and Junji Ito, shocker. Come here for the incredibly controversial deep dives and devotion. <laughs> yeah, so, so anyway. GOC stands for Global Cult Coalition. Basically, they are intended to be taken as kind of an openly political organization, but they're still covert. Like, they are, at like the foundation, not operating out in the public eye. But their organization kind of focuses on global on the global stage, uh, but they need to be kind of directed to do so. They are a military force, although there are other aspects to them, and they serve under what is called on the hub the United Nations Secret Council of 108, which, you know, the 108 uh, are these organizations and cults and, and, and conspiracies that have all gathered together and are somehow connected to the uh, process of the UN and uh they have this like air of legitimacy, right? Like they're in with the UN. Yeah. Uh, this is from the, the hub and it, there's a quote. It says, we, the undersigned leaders of the 108 major paranormal organizations, authorize the formation of an internal organization dedicated to keeping the peace and identifying, neutralizing, and containing said para threats, being the highest authority in such matters, superseding all national, international, and otherwise corporeal interests. Which is interesting because it seems like a direct sort of reference to the foundation uh, there at the end. But what's interesting is on the hub, there's like a footnote that explains that this was originally proposed as like a sister site. Yes, it was. It was the GOC wiki. So there was a wiki, you know, and I don't know the ins and the outs of it, but essentially it didn't work out and it wasn't getting the same kind of attention as the SCP wiki and they decided to port it over. Yes, yeah, so it was uh, the uh, the GOI was created by Kane Pathos Crow, um, but the the wiki I believe was created by Doctor Clef. That makes sense. Eventually, it yeah, Clef is a very big contributor, um, and right. eventually, when the interest wasn't there to keep it as a separate wiki, it was folded back in as a canon, which is why the GOC um, GOI page is under canons, which is right. really really weird if you don't know that it's there because it was formerly its own website and it also says this is fun little bit in the uh, the fine print um be aware if you contribute to the global occult coalition can stuff and there's ever enough popularity to make another wiki it may be made another wiki again and your stuff will be going to that other wiki so yeah i don't think think that's gonna happen (laughs) it's it's not extraordinarily likely to happen but i enjoy seeing it there it's kind of like a a fun idea that all the good GOC stuff is going to be raptured out of the wiki. It's <laughs> Especially because that original thought process was probably clearly attached to the case files, which are the early uh, material yes. uh, that's on that hub. And those feel very different than the stuff that's around now that yes. deals with the GOC. The GOC as a, as a whole evolves a lot as, right. as time goes on. I mean, you, you can see that right in that initial weird contradiction of it's a part of the United Nations that handles occult stuff. It's also 108 weird organizations that you've never heard of that are all very strange sounding. And those two things kind of like 
seem to be fighting with each other as a concept, but they, yeah. they make a lot of they make a lot of good hay out of that contradiction. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's it, like it is a contradiction because the fucking the different organizations that you know we'll cover a few of them right now are you know they're like conspiracies, but like they are the UN is not a conspiracy. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what perspective you have, but. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of conspiracies in them. I was always thinking of the GOC as kind of like, um, it's like the Illuminati, except they've had to play second fiddle because, yeah, the foundation is better than the Illuminati, after the Illuminati's thing. And that's funny because you look at the list of one I know. And the Illuminati is actually in there. <laughs> like the actual, and it's specific to the Bavarian Illuminati. The Bavarian Illuminati. Which is pretty funny because I don't think Bavaria is like a very powerful nation and hasn't been for like a, a hot minute. Like maybe not as far back as like the 1600s. But, <laughs> but... You know, and Bavaria is not even a nation, for Christ's sake. It's like it's just it was, her in Germany, right? Or Austria? Uh, I can never remember. Oh God, we just lost. We just lost the D. Oh uh, yeah. Well, well, the German wiki hates us right. out. The Austrian <laughs> wiki is a big fan. There is there is no Austria wiki. Uh, <laughs> like, but it's Deutsch, right? It's most of the wikis are language based. Not you know. So there's the English wiki, which is anyone who wants to write in English. It's not for specifically English nation. That's right. There's very few of them that are specifically centered on one country. They're more about languages. I guess we, we seems like we've just found another podcast topic. Oh yeah, that's true. That's the, 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 the and I'm not wikis and I don't know anything about them. So I'm not, I know some things. Well, I know, I know enough that, uh, yeah, (laughs) it's all excellent, fascinating stuff. And that's probably covering at some point. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, one of my fit, my favorite article came from one of the international branches. Right, yeah. And you just did a long tail series that was all about visiting a bunch of different branches. Uh, and yeah, and an SCP, too. Oh, right. Yeah, and, and an SCP. And I only screwed up five or six different times. <laughs> well, you were covering a lot of different information. Yeah, it's, it's fun to do research into the other branches. But again, I think we're, we're losing our focus here. Well, on the gawk. Right. So, yeah, so GOC, let's... So there's a Council of 108. Now, for the most part, I can't find, like, a, like, concrete list of who the 108 no. are. And I think that's, that's probably, on probably essential, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but on the hub, they do talk about a few of them. It's not exhaustive, obviously, because there are 108 of them. But the first one is the Bavarian Illuminati, which I thought was funny. I don't even have another note for it, because it's just funny that it's like, <laughs> hey, these are conspiracies. No, no, literally, look, the first one is the Illuminati. <laughs> Yeah, the but, second member of the Council of 108 is that pyramid with the eye on the American money. But, that's right. <laughs> I think that is the people. No, it's the Masons. The Masons. Why aren't the Masons in the list? I'm sure they're not. Because the Holy Order of Knights Templar is there. and, and that's, Oh, that supersedes. You're right. It's kind of okay. the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they've got a few of them. Like, for example, the Holy Order of the Knights Templar, which is a funny thing to include in a political organization because that's like they're a religious order. I mean, yeah. Who knows what they are like now, but like certainly that's how they were started. Was they were this religious, you know, you know, army really? Uh, yeah, they were knightly order. Yeah. Anyway, so there's also the International Center for the Study of Unified Thanatology. This uh, is neat. Which is neat, uh, and it talks about the center promoting the study of unified thanatology, the scientific study, very very important scientific study of magic and sorcery, which is pretty fun. I think this is always really funny because. 
this is something you wouldn't think when you hear about the GRC. They go around destroying anomalies, and then you read more about them, and you find out they are largely constituted with the largest number of thaumaturges, and they have a wizard college. And <laughs> so it's like, wait, wait, you guys do magic, but you try to destroy everything else. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's when you start thinking, maybe there's nuance here that I'm not big enough. And then right, totally. Deeper, and there always is. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, I don't know how much of it was originally entailed, like intended but the 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 contradictions that go throughout and i think it is pretty interesting and it and it yeah. is it, it is sad that a lot of people write the goc as just the butt of a joke or they're just the military bros and i think that 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 aspect of them applies but also you know they've got and it says currently the largest magical college in the modern world with campuses in all goc member countries including japan united states south africa and india so it's like, oh, wow, this is like Hogwarts if they train soldiers. <laughs> right, that's, that's not what you would think when you hear about the GOC's uh, right. yeah. too-long-didn't-read version. I do think it's funny that it says the GOC member countries, because from what I can see of the GOC, they don't have member countries. They have this 108. <laughs> yes, and there's, that's, that, that's that weird conflation of the UN, yeah. the GOC. And then they've got the servants of the Silico Norn, or Nornir, Nornir, uh, which is a transhumanist organization. The servants are devoted to the maintenance and worship of three massively powerful sentient supercomputers named Uthor, Verthandi, and Skoldir after the three Norns of Norse mythology. They believe that the humanity's greatest purpose is the hastening of the technological singularity, which will lead to the birth of the true Silicon Goddess, a super-sentient hyper-intelligence that will guide humanity to the next stage of its evolutionary journey. Perfectly normal thing to have on the board of directors of your, your organization. Your UN group. It's so fucking out there. Like, at first, it's like, oh, these guys are like, they're like, you know, modern Viking. Oh, no, they're not. <laughs> they're computers. They're, they're, they're computers. Oh, and they worship three... They worship? Like, what do you mean worship the three sentient supercomputers? Okay, and I think it's pretty weird that that hasn't been folded into things with, like, the Church of the Broken God or something. I don't know if much has been written about the service of the Silicon Nornier, but that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, there's a lot of little world-building seeds just even in the hub for the GOC. That's fascinating. And then we have the World Parahorth... Parahorth? The World Parahealth Organization, which is just, you know, the World Health Organization, but in, you know, anomalous stuff. And the Universalist the Universalist Order of the Aesir, which is, again, just like Norse mythology in modern day. And the one that I have in my notes, and um, what the fuck next <laughs> Which is the United Church of Satan, comma, scientist. Which is fine, right? I mean, the Church of Satan is, like, an interesting at thing. Except for until if you pay attention to anything in the real world, where the Church of Satan is, like, Nazi-adjacent. <laughs> like, and I'm not mincing words. Like, it literally, they're a very conservative, almost right-wing organization. And then you have the Temple of Satan, or the Satanic Temple, excuse me, which are a very progressive organization. And those are in real life. So it was weird to me to see, oh, this, you know, globalist conspiracy about anomalies is based off Levian <laughs> Satanism? Yeah, and I'm, pr I'm pretty sure that at one point, the leader of that, that um, Satanist part of uh, the Council of 108 is a descendant of Levian. Uh, yeah, I mean... I think their last name is LeVay in one of those cleft tales. Jesus. 
Because, I mean, but, you know, not to get too political here, but like Anthony LaVey, who's a real dude who who founded the, the Church of Satan in, in real life, was was not a pleasant man. I mean, he like endorsed eugenics. Bad person. But you got to get to the fun part that's on on the uh, Church of Satan. There, the quote, the quote. Go for it. Well, I'm not reading it. You've got it. I don't have this quote in front of me. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Well, okay. Believe in the supremacy of the human self-will over all false gods and are hostile to any and all deities. If God exists, it is the duty of humankind to kill it. Like, how cool is that? That's a good... I think it's a good line. I wish... God exists, it is the duty of humankind to kill it. I Man. like that because, you know... That would get me up in the morning, that job. <laughs> I mean, for close listeners, that's not super opposed to what the Sarkics believe. Uh, no, but you know, they are more uh, progressive in my opinion. I am I am contractually obligated in every article I write to mention the words acroamatic abatement. Gregory is contractually obligated in each podcast to say the word Sarkic at least once. Which is so funny because I have this reputation for being one of the Sarkicism authors, and like less than one tenth of the shit I've made has even mentioned that word. Yeah, you've got like half a dozen things. Sarxism. Right. It's like, and, and like a couple of them just mention it like as an offhand thing. It has nothing to do with the article at all. But yeah. Anyway. So I thought it was really interesting that they actually break down the divisions of the GOC. And they have three main divisions other than their command structure. Where one of them is physics, the other is psyche, and the last one is Ptolemy. Three Ps. Um, and physics is... You know, it's the action arm, it's equivalent to the United Nations peacekeeping forces. These are their tasks with observation, investigation, and neutralization, slash sometimes capture of threat entities or TEs. Um, they are made up of like assessment and strike teams. They have investigators and they have essentially teams that are literally what you imagine when you talk about the GOC. They're just a bunch of soldiers, uh, maybe magical soldiers, but the point is they're showing up to fuck shit up. Yes. But that's like one of three, because the other two, I think, are really interesting. They've got the Ptolemy division, which is a support, and it's tasked with supporting the other arms of the GOC, but also maintaining smooth operation of the organization, both logistics and research and development. And some of the tales uh, slash SCPs that deal with the GOC have them in like mecha armor, like power armor stuff, like a space marine. Yes. Something. When you read stuff, when you read stuff by Clef talking <laughs> from the Foundation perspective about having to maybe face the GOC in the field, it sounds like they're coming at you with mechs and shit. <laughs> it's, it's just like straight up Ooh. like Robotech stuff. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm sorry. To everyone listening, it was born after 2005. What a dumbass thing to reference. <laughs> Robotech is really old, but... Anime. It's a very anime thing. Yeah, well, I got my name from uh, my username in Mech Warrior too. So, oh, nice, nice. But I think the most we're interesting. Old. We're really old. Yeah, we're both real. But I don't have a lot of time left. Oh no, we're gonna die any second. Like maybe during this podcast. Yeah, that could be fun. Keep listening. <laughs> I don't know who's gonna upload it, but yeah, no, that'll probably it'll just be for our families, I guess. Uh, so the last division is Psyche. Which is like, at first you read Psyche and you go, oh, these are probably psychics and spies. And it's like, no, it's not. This is the diplomacy arm. And the idea that the, the group of conspiracy-led, you know, soldier boy, boys are like, have this diplomacy arm is like fascinating to me, which I, I don't know if enough, I, you know, a lot of things 
are clearly not using that as the subject matter for their articles. But I really find that fascinating because it says they're tasked with liaison with the paranormal community and maintaining peace between humanity and the occult powers. So right there in their fucking motto uh, or whatever their, their mission, it's pretty clear they're not here to destroy everything anomalous. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really cool because then they break down into the UN terminology because they have special observers and ambassadors like just like the UN. And so then I feel like we swing back into the legitimacy because if they are, you know, funding and operating UN ambassadors and special observers the way that the IRL UN does only to the paranormal community, well, then all of a sudden I can see why people say that these are like a little bit more legitimate than the foundation in terms of like legality. I don't know. I, I I would like to focus. You know, I think I'd probably want to write something about that soon. Like the, the idea of like diplomacy being a focus because we have so this is such a wide world with so many different organizations and nations that are tied up with the anomalous that it is kind of crazy that we don't talk more about like the diplomacy of it. Well, it would be very convenient if you had started writing a tale series that ends with the GOC suffering a political embarrassment that you could then. You know, use that to and to take. That would be good. I should do that. If you had just fairly recently uploaded the second tale in a series that, that ends with right. GOC. Yeah, which is pretty much where we're going with that is, you know. So, you know, I don't know. A lot of listeners probably are not aware, but we and some of the other authors behind 6500 and some other authors that weren't originally involved have launched a canon uh, that continues from inevitable. And if you know anything about Neville, you know that there's like a two, there's kind of a dual, uh, choice towards the end. Well, the end, quote unquote, uh, what was originally meant to be the end, right? This uh, <laughs> is right in the middle now, uh, where, you know, the, the foundation decides whether or not they're going to dissolve. And, you know, in one path, they decide, no, they're going to keep going as they have. And in one path, they decide, yes, they will. Uh, and we are like telling the stories, uh, typically along both paths, but the one I'm more focused on is Vanguard, which is about this new organization that is, you know, kind of open to the public and involves all these GOIs. And it, it is very focused on diplomacy and public relations. And it's awesome. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty fond of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so they've got a fivefold mission before we talk about some articles, their fivefold mission is survive the GOC. That's right. Not Sur not Vanguard, the GOC. That's right. Fuck Vanguard. I mean, it's good, <laughs> but forget about it for now. Uh, <laughs> the survive... Go read go read our stuff, but don't think about it right now. <laughs> That's right. Open up a tab with our stuff. Anyway. Uh, so the fivefold mission is survival, concealment, protection, destruction. Right back to that bro thing. Uh, but the fifth one is education, which, you know, I think is, again, like, it's just so chock full of contradictions in the best ways. Uh, we have so, to explain these to people, but we also have to keep it secret and don't tell anyone. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's pretty clear that they are covert, like the, or like the Foundation. This is a global conspiracy. But they're a lot more open and interested in diplomacy, because like it, we just said, they have connections to all these paranormal organizations and communities whereas the foundation uh does care but is kind of about you know kind of less concerned with how anyone thinks about them 
that's not always true, but in general, they think they know best and they're not going to worry about the outside perspective. Yep. Although that is not true in many articles, but, you know, as we talked about before, there's no canon, blah, 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 blah. So they say. But survival is global co-coalition shall hold the survival of the human race against all threats, paranormal, occult, paratemporal, uh, as their highest mission. Uh, concealment is as the knowledge of the para-threats would result in mass panic and heavy casualties among the general population, the GOC shall conceal the existence of said para-threats. So, just like the Foundation, they also maintain the veil. Protection is, although considered expendable if necessary in pursuit of the first mission, individual human beings shall be protected whenever possible. And here's a big transition from the SCP Foundation's uh, philosophy towards other human beings. Right, yeah. Uh, although... That first part of the sentence does say they are cons- expendable if, you know, if the survival of the human race is at, at stake. So they, they also are cold, not cruel. Uh, but destruction is, as the existence of parathreats is in itself anathema to the survival of the human race. No unnecessary risks are being taken to s- ensure the survival of parathreats. So this is, this is the primary difference, I think, between the Foundation and the GOC. They are not actually interested in destroying all anomalies, as I previously uh, erroneously thought. They, But they are not interested in, in protecting the anomalies. If, if, if it's a threat to humanity, then we should fucking kill it. Which, yeah, they're not interested in developing that curio cabinet of anomalies that the Foundation is going for. Because the Foundation is very, very reticent to neutralize a threat. They would much more likely... Yeah, they want to put them in a box. And what's really interesting, I think, is this fifth mission, which is education, because the GOC shall make every effort to expand the base of knowledge regarding para-threats, which, again, is another aspect I feel like, it, maybe I'm just ignorant, but this is not a strong enough, a, you know, a focus of, of some of these stories, because they're not just interested in destroying or uh, concealing the anomalies. They're also interested in, like, understanding it, like the Foundation does. Uh, but it doesn't feel quite as Big Brother, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of these aspects that uh, just sort of get overshadowed by the ghost smashing up or the uh, tactical aspects of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I thought, you know, we could talk about some articles now. You mm-hmm. had suggested, and other people have suggested, uh, an article by Rounder House, uh, which was technically SCP-5495, uh, although on the site it's listed as xdoc5495. And do you want to like maybe give a little summary on it? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll try to do it without spoiling it because yeah. it, it is a bit of a twisty document. Um, it's written in an unusual format for a GOC. It's not a GOC format, it's an SCP that has GOC annotations on it because it's describing an event that the Foundation and the GOC are both involved in so the foundation is writing the documentation that are exp- is explaining what happened in this incident. Um, and what happened in this incident is some people opened up a crate that had a para weapon in it, and the para weapon started having some very deleterious effects on local reality and the people who lived in it, and caused a uh, small urban area to um, sprout out with all kinds of really unpleasant reality-altering effects that caused most of them to die terribly and completely warped reality in the area. And the SCP Foundation file is describing what's going on, and they're saying, well, here's where we think the object came from, here's what it might have been, here's how it got opened, here's how it went wrong. And 
the GOC is auditing the file with little notes, and the little notes are all kind of like, that doesn't check out. The technical specifications for that don't make sense. That's not what we think happened. And they're just these tiny little poking hole moments all throughout the article. It's really as you slowly realize that the Foundation story, which is that uh, another rogue group of interest caused this problem, one of the ones that's on the outs with people, um, the, those bad group of interests people did this, and it's causing this huge problem. And, and you know, we've dealt with it, but it was their fault. The GOC's little point, it's kind of like Columbo arguing with the killer, where it's like, yeah, but, yeah, but, and you get the point at the end that really the Foundation is telling a story as opposed to reporting what actually happened. Right. And it seems like they might know more about why things went wrong than they're telling. Yeah. It's a very good twisty little detective narrative. Yeah, it's really great because it doesn't present itself as that. And uh, it, it takes like a second. Like I hadn't, I read it when it first came out. I, I think I even offered Ryder House some crit when it, before it came out. But um, I did too, but it was just after I'd met him. So a few of the things he felt free. If he, well, you know, and that's the he, thing about crit. He knows now that I get pissy if he ignores me. <laughs> the thing I think is the most interesting is that uh, for our subject matter is it really shows like an insight into the relationship between the GOC and the Foundation. Very often the GOC is presented as like, I don't want to say they're the enemies of the Foundation, but they have like a, a, a different purpose in most situations. If like this situation, a para-threat is... Uh, uncovered and some crazy weapon starts fucking up a small village, the GOC has a very different perspective about what should be done. They probably will want to destroy the thing because it is a threat to the people that live there. Um, mm -hmm. And the Foundation is going to be like, nah, we really want to keep this and figure out what it does. Yeah. And article articles like this are useful for displaying why the two organizations need to exist in the first place because it's a weird, weird thing that people need to understand, this weird device that's gone crazy. Um, there's a twist in there, but we'll leave it to the readers to read it. But the, the GOC's desire to maybe stop the loss of human life due to these things, right, yeah. the Foundation is not nearly as interested in. It's yeah. kind of important. And I think it's it's a fun dichotomy, but it's also like, you know, there is that gray area of the Foundation where the Foundation is interested in stopping the chaos because those things threaten the veil. But not not for the reason the GOC is interested, which is to save lives. Yes, the, the GOC is operating under the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and the Foundation is like, dead people aren't a problem. It's only a problem if live people hear about it. Right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I thought the one of the coolest things the rounder did in this is there are not uh, these notations are not only uh, footnotes, which are kind of from the GOC's perspective as well. There are also these little portions of the text that are highlighted in blue. And if you hover, yes. if you on mobile, if you click it, or on the PC, if you hover your mouse over it, it'll pop up these sort of secondary thoughts from the GOC's analysis teams, uh, like going like. 
like you said, like, well, this doesn't actually make sense what they're telling us. Or, you know, here's why it doesn't make sense. Or here's why this isn't a thing. Like, and it's just, what's fun is that it doesn't tell you outright that this is about a group of people trying to figure out a mystery. But it's, it, you have to like pay attention to the blue text to realize that it is somebody in another organization trying to like dissect, you know, pr- essentially what is propaganda. Yeah, it's great. It's like um, the parent has walked into the room, the lamp is on the floor, the lamp is broken, and the parent is like, give me your an explanation, give me your explanation for how this lamp ended up broken. Right. And the kid's given their little statement, and the parent's looking at the statement going, how stupid do you think I am? <laughs> so, yeah, like, why would you need to explain that aspect of it? Also, where did you get this information? I mean, so the whole yeah, article yeah. is full of firsthand accounts, which makes sense because there are survivors of this event, but it also doesn't make sense because it's unclear who the accounts are from sometimes. You yes. can kind of put together some like uh, context clues as to who's speaking, but it's like a whole village, so it's not like it's only three people involved. And you start to wonder like, wait, if they're describing this thing that happened, are, shouldn't they be dead? Like, <laughs> like they, they talk about these events, like continuing to push forward until like reality is falling apart around them in some very descriptive uh, ways. Uh, and it's like not even disturbing. It's just kind of like, wow, that's weird what's happening. And if someone was there as a firsthand account witness of some of those events, they probably would not be around giving a statement. <laughs> but this, this, my favorite bit about it is a bit of, it, it's it's simultaneously clever writing and also fourth wall breaking because it, at one point the description of the effects is so detailed and scientific that the footnoter goes, "How the fuck did they get that information from anybody? Like, is it do they just know how these devices work and that's how they're able to intuit?" And it's simultaneously the fourth wall breaking thing of why is it that sometimes the logs and in interviews seem to have information that really the author is sticking in there because the audience needs it, but there's no way the foundation has it. And it's also, why is it that the foundation seems so very capable of describing this event? Why do they seem to know exactly what's going on? Right. Why is the narrator, like, this well-informed? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I love it an omniscient narrator in such a weird reality event place. Right. And I mean, especially given the fact that we're supposed to believe these are grounded, like, you know, scientific slash almost government reports, you know, in universe. Right. But that note specifically was so funny because one of the lines of that note is them saying, well, either the foundation is, has way more advanced technology than we have, that we just weren't aware that they had, or maybe they're a lot more familiar with this type of reality warping <laughs> than than they have let us know beforehand. And like, that's like your first, like, wait a minute. <laughs> yes. What's going on up here? I, the, the fun thing about the Foundation and the GFC in this mode is they're kind of like, there's an iron curtain between them. They're really right. yeah. the East. Yeah. They're both like, here's what I think the other guy can do, but I don't know. So, yeah. Because they don't, right? I mean, it's not like the GFC is being invited over for tea. Nope. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, Highly recommend it. First of all, almost everything around Great. house, almost everything around our house is written. I enjoy. It's always yeah. a solid recommendation to say go read rounder stuff. But this one is especially good for the GOC, I think. Yeah, it's a fun article too because it's a format screw, which for anyone who doesn't know means it's not written in the format you would expect from a main list SCP. It 
right. plays with it, and this, in this respect, being a co-authored document. Um, format screws, if you can have a good reason for doing them, are a good reason to break the format once you've gotten used to how to write the format in the first place, which right. obviously Rounder House does, being one of the top 25 authors on the wiki. <laughs> right. yeah. Hey there, fans of Simply Creative People. We're mostly unsponsored so far, so I figured I would take the time to mention that you can support the show on the show page at anchor.fm slash simplycreativepeople, or if you're so inclined, you can check out Harry or my Ko-Fi pages at ko-fi.com slash harryblink or slash Carpen author. Things are crazy tough out there, so if you can't afford any financial support, and trust me, we understand, do us a favor and mention the podcast to someone who might enjoy it, or spread the word online. If we want to bridge the gap between fans and creators, we've got to get the word out to new fans. In many ways, this show is designed to be appealing to new and old fans of SCP alike, as we can all enjoy some discussion about this thing we love, and we can all learn something new. Heaven knows, I learn something new every week. Thanks so much, and we love you just for listening. Thanks for the support through all these first few months of the podcast. You're the best. There's some other articles we wanted to talk about, uh, one of which is actually three articles, but they're very short. Uh, called Case Cold Harper, and it's on the GFC hub, uh, or at least the links to it are, uh, where it is like a three-part tale series focusing on one anomaly that the GFC is trying to handle, also the Foundation is trying to handle, but never really goes into what the anomaly is because that's not really the point. This is like a perfect example of what we were talking about earlier, that the point of the tale series is to kind of illustrate how real-world, like, geopolitical organizations would handle, like, end-of-the-world scenarios. And so it's a very, very cool one. Yeah, it's it's written by Spike Brennan, who wrote one of my favorite, although not everyone's favorite, 001, uh, God's Blind Spot. And, you know, he wrote this from three different perspectives in three different time periods. And it's just like these tiny little windows into what was probably a larger file that we never get to see. But... The first one is about, you know, um, the Allied, uh, you know, I don't think it's the Foundation, I think it's like the OSS or something like that, during World War II, like, analyzing some Nazi documents that talk about a expedition to the Antarctic uh, that found something that they refer to as her, and is clearly something that is so horrible that they can't even figure out how to kill it, and they brought it back to somewhere in Europe so that they could, you know, weaponize it. But they failed so completely with that that they're just trying to think of how to uh, contain it. And we don't really get to see much about it at that point. Uh, but all we do know is that even these like weird uh, black magic Nazi types are like, oh shit, we can't we can't control this thing. Yes, and it's, it's got a great deal of uh, verisimilitude in it because it's it's got historical domain characters. Nixon and Carter and such. And oh yeah. Kissinger and Haig and... Yeah, because uh, the next part of the tale is takes place in like a briefing room in the White House in like 1972, uh, right. under the Nixon presidency, where Nixon is being is basically ordering that if uh, if this alarm goes off, and I you know I I don't remember if it was actually Case Cold Harper, it was some you know uh, code word goes yeah, off Cold Harper. Okay, then everything that we have except for the subs that carries a nuclear weapon needs to be pointed at this island because if we don't do that then we're all going to die and probably we will anyway and you start to realize through this conversation that whatever it is 
which is on an island off the coast of Russia, which was a nuclear test site uh, under Khrushchev, that it wasn't a test site, but that was them trying to contain whatever this thing was, which is implied to be the same entity that the Nazis took out. Yes, they dropped they dropped the Tsar Bomba on it to try and contain it, and it didn't work. Right. And all they, you know, and either the Foundation or the GOC, well, actually, no, it's the GOC at this point, are the ones that man the facility that are keeping this thing contained because they can't figure out how to kill it. And the literally the height of the Cold War, US military led by Nixon is saying, we've got to use every nuclear arsenal, every bit of nuclear arsenal we have, except for the ones on subs uh, to fire on that thing because it doesn't, we won't even have time to run a test run. No, nope, we're just going to fire everything. Bombing runs everything on this one island. Somebody at some point says something like, well, we're going to have nothing left to fight the Russians. And the answer is, if we have to do this, there are no Russians at this point. Right, yeah. Because they're the first ones who are going to attack this thing, and they're going to be dead already. Yeah, and I mean, the best part is, I think, is that Spike Brennan never actually explains the anomaly. So you are just left to fill in the blanks as to what this thing is by the reactions of these people that handle, you know, that talk about the deaths of thousands on a daily basis right this is the president of the united states at khrushchev and they're this worried about it yeah and the the sort of pov character that comes across all of the the tales here is a goc operative who's always there at the meeting and not everybody at the meeting even knows who this guy is right. he's the one who he's the goc fixer whose job is to know about this thing that we might need to nuke and so they play the sort of shadow organizer of the uh the conspiracy that role usually goes to the foundation but of course it makes more sense for it to be the GOC because they have that legitimacy right they're yes. they're talking to the president because the president's allowed to know they exist <laughs> and what's fun is there's like one part where the like chief of staff the White House chief of staff I don't remember if there's the Nixon part or the part in 91 which is the George Bush senior part I think it's in the, in the, in the Bush senior okay and, and the and the chief of staff is like I don't know what you guys are talking about and George Bush is like what do you mean I took you there like two months ago when we visited Russia we went out to that island you know and I'm paraphrasing and the guy's like I have no idea and he's like what do you guys really have to like give him the little yellow pill which implying amnestization and the GOC agent like pops up and goes, "Well, actually, that was us." Um, and the president's like, "Well, why? Like, <laughs> we're trying to have a meeting here." And he's like, "Well, actually, he he asked for it after he saw it, <laughs> but it was so awful. He wanted his memory wiped." And and again, they don't go into details. They just go, "Hey, this guy who is like, you know, knows he's the White House chief of staff. He probably knows as much as the president or close uh, as to all the secrets of the U.S. government." Uh, and and he was like, oh, you know, um, can you just erase my memory? Because I don't want to think of anything ever. Yeah, that's part of the beauty of these three tales is it never, ever describes really what this thing is. For ex except, except by the effect it has on people. Make them want to forget and also make them want to be able to nuke it if they have to. So... Uh, I do ha highly recommend the, that Sprite Brennan project because it, it does kind of give some really interesting insight into the geopolitical aspect of it. Yeah. But I wanted to move on because we've got a bunch of them. Uh, SCP-4851, which is another one that's from the perspective of the Foundation, and it's almost entirely, as opposed to Rounder House's article, this one, which was by Tupac Official. <laughs> yep, this was by Tupac, which is amazing. I'm not sure how the timeline. I'm not sure how the He came back from the dead. Well, I mean, it, it, it's definitely after he died. 
<laughs> but this one is, you know, real briefly is about this in 2040, it's discovered that there's like these 108 species, <laughs> 108 species of flora and fauna that are highly resistant to like these tremendous amounts of toxins that are, uh, if you look into it, a lot of things that are happening because of pollution and global warming. And they have increased fertility, increased evolution in response to environmental changes, and they have like outright open hostility towards humans and man-made structures. 10 years after they discovered, animals are observed encroaching on civilian population centers, and the loss of life is so dramatic that 150,000 people are estimated to have been killed. So the GOC gathers together the UN uh, and the GOC to address it, and that's what is the Moscow Agreement. And basically, the Moscow Agreement is to strengthen the global response to the threat of this uh, anomaly in the context of sustainable economic development and minimization of human suffering, by pledging the, each party's economic and military assistance to exterminate all these animals, global surveillance channels to allow for quick identification of them where, where these animals would be showing up, and authorizing global nuclear proliferation in preparation for deployment in areas where this these anomalous animals are. You know, proportionate. So, this is... A group of animals that is so hostile to people that they're killing hundreds of thousands of them. And so the U.S., well, the world governments have decided that they could possibly blow up the entire planet to kill a bunch of birds, essentially. <laughs> Which is just so funny. I mean, the whole thing is clearly like a metaphor for global warming and the response to global warming that organizations and, and international uh, law has, has taken, which is, you know, to say the least, not very effective. <laughs> but this like uh, lays to like plays to the the that you know trope of the GOC thinking that the best thing is to destroy everything because they get all the nations of the UN together and say okay listen everybody has to pledge that we're going to kill all these animals and if that we, we can't do it in conventional ways then we're going to use nuclear weapons yep <laughs> it's just, just ridiculous and i mean especially because at first it just seems like, oh, we found these weird animals. Oh, they're hostile to people, which, you know, there have been like a hundred different articles that take that first, those same similar steps. And then the article completely stops worrying about the animals and then just spends, it's fairly short, spends the rest of the article talking about how the world government gets together under the GOC to decide to exterminate all life. Yep. Very, it's very uh, matter of fact and it just sort of ends. <laughs> Yeah, it just it ends with this agreement which is just like oh okay so like our response to global warming is to to blow up the planet oh well that seems pretty appropriate yeah i don't see the problem yeah no definitely not a problem speaking of clef we have an article here that's from dr clef which was called assessment which was almost entirely from the perspective of the goc and I, i'm not going to run down a summary of what happens to the article it's a pretty good article uh, I highly, I recommend reading it, but I did want to read out some of the dialogue between a assessment group from the physics division um, of the GOC because I thought it was like like a really interesting insight into the way the GOC views the foundation. Yes. So first of all, they start off with going on about how the the foundation employs like D class. And so if we find ourselves, you know, in a situation where we are facing up against the foundation and they've, you know, utilized D class, we don't have to worry about it. We are so much, we're in a good situation to figure out how this anomaly works, take it and get out of there or kill it or whatever. But 
It says, and then there's, there's this conversation. If we run into an NTF, we let them take the para threat. We shadow them, we log the capture, try to gather as much information, but we don't get close. Yeah. And somebody responds, well, don't we have any diplomatic channels with them? Any contacts, any agreements? The coalition does, we don't. A few former GOC members have gone over to the foundation and vice versa. And there have been a few times where our organizations have been in agreement about a particular course of action and ended up working together. On the other hand, the coalition's official stance to the foundation as a rogue organization gets no official recognition by the council and especially no invitation to join the coalition itself. Yes. And part of that is because of that D-class thing, because it's a violation of human rights. I love that bit about how if, if they send D-class, we don't have to worry about it, because what they also say is the reason you don't have to worry if they send D-class is D-class are just criminals who've been conscripted who don't want to be there and don't care and they're not going to be a threat because they're the worst possible employees the foundation's just reaping what they sow by using criminals and it's like implied that like if we did find step you know come across an investigation by the foundation that was uh being run by a d-class like we just gonna like get them out of that situation <laughs> yeah because what are they gonna do fight us no they want us to take them yeah, they're, they're in jail, but it's kills you jail. They don't they don't want to be there. They'll, they'll they'll be happy to leave the, their terrible job. A fairly recent article by Yasi Kasi and Dr. Shoulder, uh, who is a new, I think they have a fairly um, heavy presence in the Dank uh, Memes from Site19 subreddit. But I think this might have been the first article, but I thought it was pretty good. Uh, SCP-6442. And essentially, you know, there's a lot to this article, but the parts that I thought were really relevant to this conversation was the, this focus on the GOC. Yes. And it's about this anomaly that uh, is like an ex inscription. Exposed subjects experience a complete cessation of all neurological functions. So, dead. Effectively. And there's a note that says, since its creation and containment in 2023, the SCP has successfully neutralized at least 8,000 omniscient entities. Right. And omniscient, it, what does that word mean again? Omniscient means all seeing. Right. So, so this is like implying that this anomaly has been utilized to like destroy like gods, right? In, in, in terms of, yes, it, it would be doing that. It would also be killing anybody the GOC had who is capable of knowing or seeing everything. And it says that it's killed like 2,000 people who work for the G So apparently, right. the article comes comes out swinging with two premises at once. The GOC has omniscience working for it. And right. because this thing kills anyone who sees it, and it is part of everything, and therefore anyone who can see everything will see it, it kills all omniscient things. Yeah, which is fun because that, A, it implies that this anomaly is the focus of a significant conflict with the GOC, such that they've lost 2,000 personnel trying to find it. Yes, and they just keep throwing themselves <laughs> at it. Somebody in, the right. comments, somebody in the comments calls it just the GOC chucking up like a meat grinder of people. <laughs> and then what I thought was really interesting was the comp comprox are like really complicated. And sometimes when you see that, I kind I kind of groan. But and by that I mean complex, I mean special containment procedures. Most articles on the SAP wiki will start with special containment procedures, which are just as I said, they are the procedures for which to contain the anomaly. 
but sometimes they're used in like really effective ways like here where they focus in on these like different like contingency plans if the anomaly was to get out of control and my favorite line is should the united nations goc be successful in retrieving the anomaly all attempts are to be made to neutralize the object to prevent the organization from developing a hypothetical inoculation yes but if they find out how to not be killed by this thing we we'll want to destroy it <laughs> meaning our entire or at least part of the entire point of containing this is to make sure we keep fucking with the GFC. It's just, it's lovely, isn't it? It's a really, it's a really good article. Especially if, that, I think that is Dr. Schultz's first article. I, think I mean, Yossi Posse helped as well, but. Omniscient, I think, means all-knowing as opposed to all-seeing, whether there's a word for all-seeing. But yeah, it, uh, it's, it's, I think it's, that's what they mean, though. It's a fascinating, I just meant I was correcting myself when I said it. Oh, sure. Well, I thought that was interesting because, like, I didn't read that as, and it could be implying, I don't know, you know, I didn't ask the authors, but I didn't read that to mean that the GOC literally has, like, godlike beings working for it. I thought it was more, like, psychics, you know? Yeah, I think they've probably got remote viewers who are... Yeah, exactly. Right. That's what I was thinking was, like, remote viewers, like, people that, like, can focus in on an idea or a concept and see, quote-unquote, see into the distance of, so you know, I would, miles. I would, miles. I would imagine there's probably a lot of people who are getting um, free semesters off at all those wizard colleges that the GOC works at because their roommate at the dorm in the wizard college died because they remote viewed this SCP and <laughs> probably really sad to, to to learn remote viewing. I'm sure not a lot of people survive according to this one. Like I just like the idea that like first of all the article like proposes the existence of remote viewing without saying it. Yep, and then that this anomaly has maybe not been designed for this purpose, but is being utilized for the purpose of killing anyone that comes looking for it. Yes, which it simultaneously goes, there's a widespread thing you didn't know about, yeah. but don't worry, we've taken, which is kind of like uh, SCP-1000 in a sense. Yes. Guess yeah. what? There used to be something. So Not anymore. And then before we go, and that implies this is going to be quick and it's not because there are three articles, but I wanted to talk about third law. Oh yeah, Third Law is a canon that was, I, as far as I understand it, was created by a few people, Green Wolf, Chewbacca, Nabaltaic, and Chowsera. I couldn't say that wrong. And a random day. Uh, and a random day, right. Uh, and it's like fascinating. And it like has a, like a pretty significant focus on the GOC and the Foundation in terms of global like geopolitics. Yes, Third Law is excellent. Yeah, it's really good, and I am. I, I regret that I, until now I really haven't read much about it, except for this first one we're going to talk about, which is one of my favorites, which I didn't even know was part of Third Law, uh, which is SCP-3457, or in my notes, The Rite of Solomon, or So You Want to Be a God, eh? <laughs> in the comments, it's pretty clear that there are like some people have like a problem with this article, and it's fair because it's really just, uh, it's a very dry description of like contingencies and history but the anomaly itself for once is like the shining star in my opinion because yes. it Im it implies that the concept of god is like a man-made thing <laughs> not just the concept excuse me not just the concept the existence the actual existence of a god is a, is a man-made thing so this sol this rite of solomon is essentially completing it allows for the 
quote-unquote arbitrary reassignment of thaumaturgic capabilities, as well as making fundamental changes to the nature of thaumaturgy. So what that means is magic will be completely redefined by doing this right, and it also enables the user to gain complete control over the distribution of occult abilities of the human population. Right. So it's making a god, and not just a god, but the god of magic. And maybe the god of magic is, as they imply, Yahweh. Uh, I mean, it doesn't quite say that, but it says that the we think the first people that performed this was a group of like uh, ancient, like uh, Israeli, like monks, <laughs> which is like okay. So you're saying that Yahweh was the you know, was literally someone you set up through this ritual. And essentially, it's a rite that's used to set up a new deity in the place of the Demiurge, which is a concept that's tied back to Gnosticism. Basically, the Demiurge is an entity that created the physical world. So, like God. And this entity, once set up in the place, is capable of enacting like extensive control over the nature of magic as a whole, and then controlling it. So... You set up someone to be the god, and then through the rite, you actually like would put a like a leash around the god. And this ritual is like super old, and people have tried to work it before and have completely failed, leading to like the death of the people that tried to do the ritual up until 1888, 1881, because prior to that, they think the existing demiurge would stop it from working and kill the ritual. Uh, workings the people that were actually trying to do it but in that year somehow we're not sure how the existing demiurge was killed by a group of german occultists during yeah. the like sixth occult world war or whatever the sixth occult war involved the death of the demiurge which is which is terrifying and hilarious at the same time which is what a lot of third law stuff does and it's also like a really interesting uh like callback to the origins of the GOC. Because the GOC originally was inspired by a creepypasta about some government, I can't remember, figuring out how to assault and then kill God. Right. And the interesting thing about the GOC in this article is that the GOC and the Foundation sort of have an uneasy truce because of this anomaly. Because to do the ritual, you have to have certain physical objects. And then also to do the ritual, you have to know how the ritual works. And the GOC knows what objects are needed and how those objects can either be con controlled or the artifacts can be controlled. You know, what, what, what makes it an appropriate artifact? Only the GOC knows that. And the foundation, which this article is from the perspective of, they only know the details of the right. And so they have this joint operation launched by the foundation and the, uh, allied occult initiative which is essentially what the GOC was prior to World War II with the goal of preventing anyone's completion of this ritual because there were some Nazis who wanted to try and make it work during World War II and it's interesting because it ends with like world building which is not that common on the SDP where like you know most of the time there's like a there's a cre like crazy twist or you know the narrative has a purpose but this article ends with like an agreement, like essentially like an international agreement called the Cold Agreement uh, to keep the GOC honest by auditing and identifying people who know about the ritual within major occult organizations, including their member orgs, uh, because the foundation doesn't want to make sure that 
or wants to make sure that no one in the world actually knows how this ritual works. Which feeds into third law because that cold agreement is the basis for an entire understanding of like the paranormal world from a geopolitical perspective. Third law so, is one of the only actual things on the wiki that really puts in the homework on uh, on figuring out paranormality and the organizations and the way that they work together and also how magic works, which is part of the extreme appeal that it has as a canon. Yeah, because it's like weirdly grounded while it's also being entirely about magic. That's what I love about it, because it's it's yeah. grounded. You look at Third Law, and if you've read enough of it, you can go, this is grounded. But it's not grounded because it takes what other people do in a complex fashion, and it does it simply. It does not. It's not grounded because it deals with less crazy stuff. It's not grounded because it deals with smaller scale stuff. It has more crazy stuff. It has a bigger scale. The reason that it's grounded is it has a detailed approach to the insanity. It goes, how does magic work? What are the rules behind the magic? How does right. how does how does this insanity function? And what, what effects does it have? What is the feedback loop of magic? If you cast a spell, where does the rest of that energy go? And it actually has rules for explaining it. It has models for understanding how its magic works, what's happening, and why. And that makes the world feel like it makes more sense, makes it feel less hand-wavy, makes it feel less a wizard did it-esque. Because basically, third law puts in the extra homework to make you believe a man can fly and that's really cool yeah and then i think i mean that is cool but the thing i think that is so interesting and grounded about it is how it deals with like the geopolitical yes. uh like like negotiations between entities entities not mean gods or anomalies but entities mean like the foundation the goc the u.s uh you know pentagon the fucking you know european union etc etc and it's like, okay, so here's this world where magic exists and everyone kind of knows, even though the veil is intact, but like the governments all know because we saw a lot of shit during World War II and there's no way to have hidden it all. Yes. So everybody kind of knows, not the everyday civilian, but everybody that is involved in power knows and also knows that this doesn't solve any problems. The same problems exist. And so we need to like form the basis of agreements uh, so how about we use this agreement as the basis of like a, like a, a system of treaties uh, between the GOC and, you know, various world governments and the foundation. And it's like fascinating because in this world, and it is kind of like, like I said before, it was a canon. So it's like kind of like an alternate universe sort of situation. It's entirely based off of at least since World War II, this collaboration between the GOC and the foundation to make sure no one does this ritual from 3457. Right. The After the 8th, uh, 7th, which one's World War II? The 7th? I think 7th. After the 7th Occult War, the, the Veil era that is run by the foundation and the GOC more or less in tandem is, is the dominant mode and it starts to really break down after the 2000s as things just start getting too crazy for everybody to keep a lid on and that's where you get all this cool geopolitical intrigue coming to the head yeah i, I really so you know I, I talked to somebody recently about their thoughts on 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 third law and uh, it was lord uh, and lord had brought up this like really interested three bullet points which is the world is fundamentally explainable by science even the magic even though some of the science is a nautilus slash more advanced than the real world than the uh civilian world knows normality is therefore defined by like treaty and consensus it's not just a vague thing. Now, these things, this is all defined through these treaties uh, between these different organizations. 
and governments. And because of this, legal agreements and treaties are extremely important, and the Foundation gains its legitimacy, at least partially, from the need to contain 3457. And in turn, the GOC has a claim on the Foundation's support in certain situations. Which is, like, fascinating because... As we've established in all these other articles that we've talked about, the GOC and the Foundation are like at cross purposes. And in this world, they are like partners, even though one is concerned with containing and the other one is concerned with neutralizing. Yeah, they still have huge problems with each other and go behind each other's back, but they also have to kind of work on the right. same field at the same time. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like... This is a flawed metaphor, but it's like the way that different uh, police organizations, you know, in the federal yeah, it's, it's versus sort of the that. state government, uh, like they're both kind of want the same thing, but they have different priorities and different ideas about how they're going to work together. Yeah, I might modify it to say that it's the way that uh, intelligence communities yeah. in different countries operate because they're still lying to each other, stealing <laughs> each other's guys and stuff like that, okay. but also sharing a language and the problem. Like, there are levels of conversation where the U.S. government, like the CIA and NATO, are on the same page. But there are also levels of that conversation and relationship where they are 100% not at the same page because they're lying to each other. That's, that's, that's part of the beauty of it. Third Law has a lot of that intrigue in it, and it has a lot of magic in it. But it also has a lot of human character stuff in it because it does all of this homework to tell good stories. Third yeah. Law stuff is not here as a legal document. It's right. here is right. a scientific description of magic. It's we did all of that work in a Gregory doesn't like the Lord of the Rings, but in a Tolkien way where we set up all of this background stuff beforehand so we could tell our story and our world would feel believable. And so third law stuff is actually really fascinating. The best thing that I've I've read so far is a tale series by Greenwolf called The Phoenix, the Nightingale, and the Magpies, which is full of this ge geopolitical stuff. It's full of this crazy magic stuff. It's full of this grounded detail and this right. early career Tom Clancy where he still knew how to tell a story but also knew where to cover <laughs> in technical details thing, which Clancy later stopped learning how to do. Oh, yeah. But, well, that's because his audience didn't care for it. Yeah, they just like reading technical manuals. Right. Um, but Green Wolf's Tales and a lot of the stuff that's written in, in Third Law has that. It's got that believable grounded detail stuff, but it's also interesting character stuff, which is also what Clef did. Um, Clef has a lot of yeah. ta tactical stuff in it. Clef leads, uh, obviously, he read a lot of action stuff, and he obviously read a lot of, um, I'd be surprised if he hadn't read at least Rainbow Six or something. With <laughs> right, because uh, he has to move. Yeah. There's big Rainbow Six vibes in here, or, or played the video games at least, because um, a lot of Clef's earlier writing comes off, comes across like Tom Clancy, if Tom Clancy ever got horny about something that wasn't a technical manual. <laughs> right, because and not Clef, Clef stuff has a lot of that horny stuff, which is not his best writing. But when Clef writes stories about um, flawed individuals going off on crazy technical adventures, um, he's in his element. His his like mission tales are always fascinating and fun and yeah. exciting. And yeah. there's a continuum of, of that with Third Law, where there's these fascinating stories of these cool people who are competent, who have all this technology, and also their magical resources, which are all thoroughly explained so you know what's going on, doing crazy cool stuff that's described extremely well, because they have a, a, a canon that's kind of open, but kind of closed, because they have an extraordinarily strict quality control with Third Law, which produces a pretty high quality product, whether, whether or not it'll make you happy if you have an idea that they don't like, but their ideas are excellent and their execution is excellent and it's yeah it's pretty great absolutely
Yeah, and I wanted to close this out by talking about one of the articles, and it was by Greenwolf, and that's SCP-5525, which is the United States government loots Atlantis, which is... Uh, this is a good article. Which is, like, just one of the best titles I think I have seen on the wiki. Like, <laughs> I I thought some... Because uh, I forget who recommended this to me when I, cause I reached out and asked for recommendations for, for GOC articles. And someone was like, oh, it's about the United States government looting Atlantis. And I was like, oh, cool, okay. And then I didn't realize that was actually the title. And I think that is so funny because, I mean, yeah, that's what the article's about, but it's like kind of not. Um, that's the beauty of it is is that that's all implied in the article. The title not, is almost yeah. like the Coles notes where it's like, if you didn't get what this was, this was the United States government looting Atlantis. That's <laughs> right. So it's this is about this joint operation between the GOC and the Foundation maintaining a blockade around an anomaly, which is basically the sunken city of Atlantis. It's an, 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 an advanced civilization uh, that either lived underwater or at some point sunk to the underwater, and they have like technical words for it, but it is Atlantis. It turns out it's not actually basically Atlantis. As, as a later article will right. explain, it was Atlantis. <laughs> right. But I mean, for the purposes of this article. For the purposes of yeah. this article, it's just like, oh, I think I know what that is. Yeah. Right. Which is cool because it also, like, didn't didn't just use the, like, buzzword. You know, okay. like, it's in the title as a joke, but it's also like, no, this was, like, a real culture. But they also, like, made weird, horrible shit, including these super weapons. Uh, and the 05s and the 108 had this emergency meeting under Article 13 of the Cold Agreement, which I thought was super cool and set up a joint containment protocol, which is this blockade. And the reason they do so is because the U.S. has known about this for a while now. Like, I think this all takes place in, like, 1979. And the U.S. has been exploring and or looting this underground, underwater, like, advanced city for, like, a decade or two already. And the reason that they know about the Foundation and the GOC figure out about this, because the U.S. has kept it entirely hush-hush, is that while they were retrieving an artifact, uh, they trigger this weapon and it like destroys a small Caribbean island, I think. I think it's Caribbean St. Jeremiah, which is an island where like 15,000 people lived. And it's just literally vaporized because of whatever this weapon was. And my thoughts getting to that point in the article is, okay, and now we're going to get down into like a, uh, you know, exploration log where an mtf has to like secure the anomaly and then we'll figure out what the anomaly is but like the article is not interested in all at all nope it turns into like like uh, hilariously like we said like a, a technical support manual of like a clancy novel about a naval battle between the goc and foundation versus the u.s only it's they're not just firing shells at each other they're also like launching psychic attacks and like it's told in a very clinical style but like you can like imagine the most horrific series of like montages of like the bridges blowing up and people being vaporized by psychic powers and it's just fucking oh it's a it's a it's, it's an amazing log it's a great log it's a naval battle while magic is happening and it's kids got and, and like the water around the ships is turning into marmalade or they're transpositioning on top of each other or they're trying to launch psychic attacks at each other it's it's just this and it just keeps going and getting crazier and crazier and crazier and the battle keeps getting worse and reality is literally exploding in every direction and then how does it end 
ends with the Foundation figuring out how to trigger the super weapon, and they aim it at the, the U.S. fleet. And they, they, so, they erase the United States 13th fleet. <laughs> it's not even played off as a joke. It's like played off as this like horrific thing that the Foundation was forced to do because the U.S. government was going to fight a war to keep this item and others uh, that was already responsible for the death of 15,000 civilians. Like, for once, I was like 100% on board with the Foundation's priorities here. They wiped this fleet out, and then right. the United States government takes a step back and decides to just take that on the chin, and they go, yeah, we never had a 13th fleet, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> just... <laughs> I think it's like a year later and they say that Jimmy Carter like was like, look, we're, we're chill. Like we apologize for our involvement there, but they have completely disavowed the existence of that fleet. Oh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Even having heard it described, it's still fun to read. You should go read that article. Yeah. Cause I mean, that wasn't, that's like the most broad, like taking a broad brush to the plot of this article. And you know, we, even though we told you what happens, it's not even close to describing the fun of this article because it is like this log about this naval battle is just like a mile a minute craziness. Like from one moment to the next, crazier and crazier shit happened. I was actually talking to Green Wolf about it and says it, it's kind of like um, when you start seeing the second by second timestamp show up in a situation, you're like, I know this is going to, this is about to get real. Yeah, yeah, see, yeah that's. That's really funny. Yeah, that, that's a good point because, you know, the, there's a time code on each one of those logs. Yeah, and it, it just, it's, it's, it's obviously heading towards a particularly bad moment because if, if the water is turning into jelly or whatever and, and people's heads are exploding and this is the lead up, what's it a lead up to? Yeah, and I think it's a really good example. Like, I have only just started dipping my toes in the third law, but with the articles we've talked about and the general overview, you know, like, I'm really excited to to dip more into it because you know i think it takes this really interesting perspective on the goc which is that they are whether or not they're necessary is up for debate but the point is is that they were there when this stuff got decided you know mm -hmm. when para technology first started proliferating and the world started losing started not making sense on a on a global geopolitical scale they're just involved in it the way that the foundation is and we all have to just like exist together and figure this shit out yeah they're probably the most important other group of interest in terms of the everyday scp cover the veil sort of stuff and the fact that most people use them as a punchline i think we've kind of shown that that's unfortunate <laughs> yeah it's a it's a complete waste of their potential because i mean from every aspect of it from the weird contradictions of the elitist asshole like conspiracies that make up the 108 to the very grounded perspective of the everyday soldier or or psychics um division people um or psyche sorry which are the diploma diplomacy arm uh to like this crazy you know world ending naval battle between the u.s government and the foundation and the GOC, like there's so many aspects to this GOI that is like more interesting than, than sometimes they're even treated because I think a lot of the times why this trope is in existence is because there have been a lot of articles that have treated them, like you said, as either the butt of a joke or they're just the bad guys. Like if you go back and, re you know, hot take the, the chair, which I think is 1648, I could be wrong, is this 
article where the GOC found a chair that would teleport you anywhere you want to go. And it was alive and it just wanted to be helpful. And the GOC is like, oh, this is an anomaly. We have to kill it. And so they put it through a wood chipper, like literally. And then the chair's pieces are still alive and keep teleporting themselves into the body cavities of people killing people because it's upset. And the article just ends with like basically the foundation researcher being like, see, this is why the GOC is bad. And it's the most on you, like on the nose bullshit condemnation of a GOI I've ever seen. I think it was, I don't even know. I don't want to like, you know, imply there was some sort of drama, but I feel like whoever wrote that was like actively trying to say we shouldn't have the GOC at, on the website. <laughs> like it, it, it feels, it, it feels like propaganda. Like it's, it, it's not a well-written article at all and it's like it doesn't even like pull it punch it it's like the most propagandized like ending it's just like it literally just turns into the author telling the reader i think the goc is bad well i think part of the reason i can't find the article now that i'm looking but i think part of the reason that people come with this opinion somewhere in the first bunch of scps in series one is the first time someone's going to see the goc it's a very early article Real quick, the article about the chair is 1609, and the article that Harry is referencing is 065. Where they smash some fertility idol on a farm that causes the farm to grow a whole bunch of awful crap that, that's dangerous. And that's likely to be the first thing someone sees if they go back to SCP-002 and they start scrolling through. They'll, they'll come across this one and go, oh, they're the idiots who break things and then it's raw. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and it's like... All problems can be traced back to series one. <laughs> I mean, just the reality is that like any group of interests, well, maybe not any, but most of them have developed and evolved in so many interesting ways. I mean, we talked about sarcasm in the first article that our know, first episode where it's like started off as this creepy flesh disease that turned people into monsters, kind of. And that inspired metaphysicians to write like this deep seated lore. And the GOC doesn't seem any different, like where it, it started off as this fairly bro-y stupid kind of like hey they like killing the things that we want to contain and pretty early on clef and others and then later on third law like we're like no 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 there's some really interesting concepts at play here and i've been like really surprised at how good a lot of this stuff is yeah it's rewarding to see that any good concept can produce good work and it can produce bad work and it depends on how much nuance you want to put into it yeah totally um we're not going to go into it uh deeply but i do want to also shout out war on all fronts uh which is a canon that i mentioned last episode uh which is very focused on like kaijus versus giant robots and that sounds ridiculous but it's not it's amazing and pretty much the GOC perspective is the primary perspective from the early articles in that canon, all focusing on the armed response to trying to destroy this Godzilla-like monster. Croco-squid. Right, he's a, he's a croco-squid. Croco-squid. You know, uh, croco-squid. <laughs> it's, it's so, like, when people are like, oh, is that the kaiju stuff? And it's like, yes, but it's like, it's really good. It's also the giant mecha stuff. But, and, yes, and I granted I'm a total weeb, but uh, I really like that stuff. The team that unfortunately uh, beat my team in the Canon Renaissance contest, oh, yeah. first, first, they got second place, was the Mikasa Junior team for the War on All Fronts Canon, and they just 
their storyline is fantastic. It's uh, fun. They did a great job, yeah. With some beautiful renders of giant mechs, so if you like that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. Steph did that incredible piece of art. Yes. Probably spent a whole episode just br- talking about how great our artists are. Yeah, and we will. Uh, but before we go, I just wanted to, like, you know, have some closing thoughts. I don't know about you, but, like, I want to come back to that concept that we had mentioned early on about the GOC bad and Foundation good. And yeah. I feel like I have some complicated feelings about it. You know, on the one hand, the mission of the GOC is seems bad in some ways if you care at all about the wide, the wild and the wonderful. It's not bad because they also want to protect humanity. So that's wonderful. But, you know, the idea that, like, you know, people are expendable if we can, you know, in, in in pursuit of protecting the human race, that's already kind of questionable. Their members like seem very elitist and like you know very Eurocentric, very like classist. These are like rich asshole conspiracy things. Yes, but on the other hand, Foundation is bad too. The Foundation is authoritarian to the extreme. They are big brother. The Foundation had true. I didn't know that. <laughs> Foundation is like if if something more ever to be revealed that there was either a government or an NGO that had the ability to erase people's memories and had been <laughs> hiding the wonderful and the weird and the dangerous, to be fair, also the dangerous, on a regular basis, like, we would, like, have a witch hunt about these people. Yep. And, you know, they're both... I want to point out that they both have some very, you know, contradictory understandings of what normality is or normalcy is and they are both deciding on a really arbitrary basis like the GOC clearly values magic and other weird things and it's deciding oh but in these situations these are a danger to humanity so we should destroy them in a similar way to the foundation is saying well here's what normalcy is we've defined it as such and we're gonna hide it from everyone you know and no matter what that is in my opinion, kind of a bad thing. Uh-huh. It's multiple different kinds of bad, and you know, pick your poison. And it just feels like an old boys club. I mean, so does the foundation. But, you know, I just want to push back on if people think that GOC is quote-unquote bad, on the one hand, sure. And on the other hand, compared to who? Yeah, and that's what's good about it, is there's really not a lot of point in having one organization that's super good, one organization that's super bad. You want to have a spectrum of different approaches, because that allows you to tell more interesting stories. About bad people. About bad people. Because they're pretty interesting to talk about. Did you have any closing thoughts, sir? I'm I'm not sure we've established that I had any thoughts the whole time we were talking. I don't know if I'd be able to say that I have any more at the end, but... I've had a lot of fun so far. This has been good. All right. That's what I got. Those are my cl- my closing thoughts. Were yay! That was good. I had I had a good good two hours of, of speaking into my microphone. Was- I know I'm gonna have to trim this down a little bit, but it's 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 good times. Good times. Uh, so we've got we're gonna we're gonna rush through this, uh, but we have a few emails. I, I I'm have- gonna rush through. We hard. Have the, have have the courage to be Gregory. Have the courage to make things as long as they need to be. <laughs> I know you like writing really short stuff, but. Yeah, I have somehow got the reputation of being the guy who writes long articles when you're the motherfucker who writes long shit. Hey, I mean, I only, uh, my longest article is only 24,000 words long. I don't know what you're talking. <laughs> just one, guys. Just one article. 
It's really good, though. Okay. Uh, emails. Emails. So, Guare uh, sent in two, actually. One right after the first episode, and then another one when I asked for uh, some uh, crowdsourcing about the GOC. Uh, first email was, I just finished listening to the first episode. I must say I really enjoyed it. Uh, the next episode being about the GOC is really interesting. I'm not a particularly big fan of them, but I'm aware of the great difference in opinions on this on-site and off-site people have about them. Even on-site, a lot of people, though luckily a minority just portray them as quite too morally bleak for my taste. Though I guess we can blame that on the first few articles in which they appeared. I think I'd like to push back on that because I would say that about the Foundation. <laughs> it's true. Like, the GOC doesn't seem any more morally bleak than the Foundation. Uh, and in the second email, uh, I would like to wish you, Grigori, good luck on the show. It's very nice, thank you. It must certainly be difficult now that you have to do things solo. It, it's been fine, it's okay. Uh... And I also wish Jackie a good recovery. And we do as well. Uh, Absolutely. I was just talking to her earlier. She seems to be doing good. Jackie is lovely. Yeah, she's the best. Uh, the real question I was going to make for this episode was, what's your favorite interpretation of the GOC? Since both off-site and on-site, it has, let's say, many. For myself, and I think we already answered this, but I, I, I and I've only read a few articles, but so far, the third law stuff seems freaking amazing so i can't wait to dig more into that and so far that's the interpretation i think is is most interesting yeah i'd be happy to go with that i'm also quite a fan of dr class stuff because oh yes totally one of the first people to write tales on the site that are good as opposed to yeah some really terrible ones i mean clef has some bad early tales clef has some very 2008 tales Uh, (laughs) but his goc stuff is fantastic because when he's interested in something his writing is terrific and he wrote some really excellent GOC stuff so yeah third law and also Clef yeah you know I um I'm not like casting a shade on Clef uh as an author um but uh, you know some of his more famous things uh I think read not nearly as interesting as his GOC tales his GOC yeah, tales yeah. I think are just from a perspective are are just like so much more grounded and human and than the gate guardian which I'm not you know saying the gate guard is bad it's popular for a reason but like if you read some of the stuff that he wrote about the GOC, like you're like, oh, you had a real passion for this. Clef loved writing tales about yeah. going off on missions and doing cool stuff, and you can tell, you can you can see how much yeah. joy there was. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's the cool thing is I, at least I think, if I understand my timeline of his uh, his writing, uh, a lot of that stuff that was most interesting, I think, about his work on the GOC was towards his like later years of activity. Yeah. Yeah, he improved as he went along, and he started out very talented, so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so I get next, to read this one? Yeah, next email. Go. I have a voice. I can read. <clears throat> yes. I'll take it. So the next the, the next one is from Sarcastalot. Yes? Yes. Hello, I'm Robin's Nest on Reddit, and I loved the first episode. Can't wait to hear the next episode. Me too. Curious if it's going to keep going with the cosmic forces or the sort of normal SCPs. I love both routes where the cosmic forces integrate together. Keep up the good work. Y'all should have a Discord. No. I mean, they maybe can, eventually. They can actually come to the, the Meta Foundation Discord. But no. no. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think we're... Like, a, a few people have suggested that we make a Discord, and I think we're just... That's so early. <laughs> yeah, there's only three episodes. Right. You're like, let me, let me, let me get, a, like, you know, 10 to 12 episodes, and then we'll start thinking about stuff like that. We're just, we're in our growing phase, but I do appreciate the vote of confidence. In addressing the question, um, 
you know, I think that's the fun thing about SCPs is, and we answer the question by what we talked about today, which is not cosmic forces weirdness, but a very grounded GUI. I think the best thing about the Foundation is that it, it does both. That yes, we can have almost anything on the wiki and you know the people that think that it's only about eldritch horror or about scary monsters are really missing the fact that there are you know hundreds and hundreds of articles that are just you know the most you could describe them as is weird fiction because they could be about anything josie the half cat isn't a horror story it's you know a story about a half cat <laughs> and i i think the fun aspect of things like the goc or you know uh, Anderson or other GOIs that are pretty grounded, even though they're dealing with weird stuff, is that you can have a story about, you know, the end of the world death cult uh, or ancient society of, you know, matriarchs. Or you can also tell a story about, like, some soldiers that work for the UN. And it all just... Variety. I, this is the problem I have when some people say, like, I hate it when people write X. Everybody should be writing X. It's like, no. Collaborative writing websites are not vending machines. You don't just push a button and you only get that thing. Right. You, it's it's a slot machine. <laughs> you pull the lever and you get what reality wanted to give you. You get what the writers want to produce. I mean, if it was a vending machine, you'd be paying money for what you're getting. <laughs> Which, by the way, if you guys want to pay us money, we are glad to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I mean, it's the same as it is even it's the same as academia. Uh, you, you set the space aside for right. work to be done. And then the people who want to create the work, create what they want to create and you decide what you want. Um, I mean, people who want more murder monsters, you haven't read all the murder monsters that are on the wiki. Yeah, there's a lot. Who I'm talking to, whoever I'm talking to right now, there is not a single person listening to this who has read every kind of article that they like on the wiki. There are more there are 14,000 pages on the wiki. <laughs> the variety is what makes it great, and it will continue to make it great. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so... One more email. One more email from Gizma, uh, which has done some wonderful memes just today for both your stuff and my stuff, uh, which I'm not going to explain right now because we're re- going to read an email. Anyway, uh, Gizma says, congrats on the first episode. So the GOC, huh? I find them really interesting. There's a lot of variety in their content because people have a lot of different interpretations of them. They can be totalitarian and destructive adversaries, but they can also be competent and active counterparts. They can be screw-ups who make things worse. I personally prefer them as the competent counterparts, but my first real experience reading them was going through the hub, so I was exposed to the different stuff, and I could appreciate them in other roles. I really like it when, in an SCP or a tale, a bad situation goes worldwide and so out of hand that the Foundation has to start cooperating with the GOC. When they start these joint efforts, it hammers in the stakes and things might go epic, which is a really good point. It's good. The fact that they also do more practical sciences and use more occult techniques than the Foundation, especially in the military field, gives opportunities to see them do, and in caps, really cool shit. Really cool shit. I would... Push back on the last part. I don't know that they do more practical sciences or more occult techniques. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions that the foundation is just a bunch of people in lab coats because of the focus on like doctor doing this and doctor this or whatever. Especially based on like third law, some of the stuff I've read, written, some of the stuff you've written. Like the foundation yeah, is chock full of weird magician types. Yeah, but that's it's a later accretion into the foundation side of things. 
early on, the foundation was doctors, guys with guns. Yeah, really early on. Like, yeah, I would say past the Null Foundation, like, you start to see all sorts of weird stuff. Like, historians that are experts in ancient, you know, weird body horror cults. <laughs> but, yes. yeah, I... I we're on, we're on uh, Metaphysician again? Yeah, yeah. Judith Lowe? Yeah. Shocker, I made a Metaphysician reference. Yeah. Um, the first time I read thing about thaumaturges working at the Foundation was our friend Ip's excellent essence in plastics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, SNC Plastics, which we'll cover in detail and probably have it come on for that. Uh, it will be lovely. He has, like, characters that are just, like, avowed sorcerers. Like, just, well, she just does magic. <laughs> Ip is who I am in my dreams. <laughs> unfortunately, I am who I am in the real. And also, I am Grigory. Right, all things. We are all. Which is not as unfortunate as being me. <laughs> all right, well, I think that's about it for us here today. Do you want to give out your your Twitter, or do you not like about your Twitter? Do I know my Twitter? Uh, <laughs> old man on the keyboard, pressing buttons with the mouse. The UI on this website is terrible. My Twitter is at HarryBlankSCP. That's all one word. The show's Twitter is at SimCreate, which is S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. My Twitter is at Gregory Carpin, which is G-R-I-G-O-R-I-K-A-R-P-I-N. That's it. Uh, So proud of you. The email address is simplycreativepeople at gmail.com, which is spelled out just like you imagine. Uh, and, you know, we'll be announcing what our next subject is in the next couple of days. But uh, at this point, you got any last thoughts? No. It's <laughs> a great way to end it. All right. So thank you for tuning in and uh, we will see you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm <laughs> <laughs>